If you have your Bible, let me invite you to pull it out, and if not, the Scripture will be on the screen behind me, but we are headed back to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1 tonight, and we're going to read together right off the bat from verse 13 all the way to verse 25. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 to 25, a little bit longer passage, and uh, as we read God's Word, let's remember that, first of all, that God's Word is perfect. It is the truth. It is inerrant, and we can trust it completely. And not only that, it comes from a good and a loving Father, a Father of grace and goodness and love and forgiveness. That is whose word we read tonight. So let us begin in verse 13. Scripture says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God." having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fails, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. And this Word is the good news that was preached to you. Let's take a moment. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word, the perfect word, the word of good news. And Father, we pray that you might illuminate our hearts and minds tonight, that we might hear it and receive it and apply it to our lives, not only to remember how much we need you as our Savior, we need you as our Lord, Father, but that by your Holy Spirit's power that we might apply your truth, Father, that even as we travel through this world, Father, that we might carry ourselves holy, even as you are holy. We ask all these things by the power of your grace through your Son, Jesus Christ, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Tonight, if you are taking notes, six, didn't think that was possible, but six brief, I promise, six brief applications from the Scriptures this evening. Number one, prepare for action. Verse 13, the first half of it tells us this, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Prepare for action and being sober-minded. Now, right off the bat, Peter here is using uh, a command that shows up in the Old Testament all the time. It's a military command. What you're literally reading here, if you go back into the original languages, he is using the phrase, gird up your loins. That phrase obviously brings us to Star Wars. You question that. The only unrealistic part of Star Wars, in my opinion, is the fact that the Jedi Knights who are fighting all over the place with their digital swords, 
never have any issues with this massive tunic robe thing that they are wearing, right? They never trip. They never fall. The robe tunic thing that those Jedi Knights are wearing is what was a traditional garb in biblical times. And so when they went to battle, the first thing that they were told to prepare for action was to gird up your loins, which meant to take the bottom, the tails of that robe thing and pull it up and tie it into your belt and wrap it around so that you would be ready for action, so that you would be ready to fight, so that you would not fall and eat your digital sword if you were in Star Wars world. Prepare for action is the call. Prepare for spiritual battle is the call to us. Prepare for the mission of God is the call to us. The idea very much here, both in Peter's day and our own, is the idea of get off the couch. Get off the couch spiritually. Get off of your, get out of your comfort zone spiritually. Lead and love your family. Lead and love in the world. Get to action. It applies equally well to the reality of get off of your keyboard. Stop being a keyboard warrior and love people. Get in the lives of actual people that are in your world. Turn off the latest video game, whatever it might be and engage in the spiritual battles that we are all so aware are happening all around us. Prepare for action, the Scripture says. But then it gives us a second detail. It says, be sober-minded, which is probably not an attribute we've thought about a lot as being an attribute of the fruit of the Spirit of God. It says sober-mindedness, which to be clear, both literally and spiritually, is a mark of a disciple, of a follower of Jesus Christ. At the end of the book, 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter is going to say, again, be sober-minded, be watchful. And he says, because your enemy, the devil, remember this, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. Therefore, be sober-minded, be watchful, be ready for action. But again, many of us as Christians can slip into slumber, can slip into a place of safety. Dads, moms, parents who aren't ready for battle, to protect and to lead their children. And we can unintentionally sometimes become so unsober-minded that we let Satan and sin begin to seep in. We become lazy towards the Word of God. We pass on times of prayer and drawing near to God and asking Him for His help and His guidance. Um, We don't know how to act when the opportunity presents itself to live out the words of the gospel or to, to live out the deeds of the gospel when those opportunities come, and they are, and they will. We pass. When we don't have healthy accountability, iron sharpening iron, brothers and sisters in Christ doing life together to encourage each other towards sober mindedness in the Scripture. We forget who our hope really is in, which brings us to number two, hope. Scripture says at the tail end of verse 13, hope in grace. What is our hope in? If that is the call of Scripture, what is our hope in? Look at the, the, the second half there. It says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There are lots of of actions. There's lots of substances. There's lots of sins that we can put false hope in, you know? 
There's things that we can tend to lean on, but none of them has ever brought peace. None of them has ever brought hope like Christ can. None of them has ever brought new life the way that Jesus can. So, believer, look into your own life, says this passage. Are you running? Are you running to earthly things that satisfy or try to satisfy the deepest longings and needs of our soul, things that the world offers? Let me give you two vocabulary words, license and legalism. When we run to the things of this world and we think this thing, this person, this situation, this opportunity, if we have enough of this thing and we saturate ourselves in that rather than in Christ, we are running to license. I have a license to do what I want and live the way that I want and abuse God's grace. Believer, don't fall into that pit. But there's another pit on the other side. As believers, we can fall into the pit of legalism and think, man, I have done such a great job. I have so well, so perfectly followed God's Scripture. I know it all. I have all the answers to the world's questions. Just ask me and I'll tell you. I've earned in some respects my relationship with God. That is the the pit or the ditch of legalism. And walking with Christ in day-to-day life is a narrow path and there is a ditch that we fall into so easily on each side. Rather, The Scripture says, put your hope in grace. Put your hope, fathers, in grace. Mothers, put your hope in grace. Sons and daughters of God, put your hope in grace. What is grace? G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense is grace. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Being given the riches of heaven at Jesus Christ's expense, getting what we don't deserve is grace. Okay, well, what what is mercy? Mercy is the opposite, right? Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And God in His richness and fullness as a Father has given us both His grace and His mercy. When we fail to obey, and yet He has called us as children to obey, He is a good Father of grace and mercy. The Scripture here is going to call us continually, this book is going to call us continually in 1 Peter to this idea of holiness, which sounds so impossible, and it is outside of Christ, but it's always out of the foundation of grace. Amen? Number three, don't go back, says the Scripture. This is verse 14. Don't go back. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. We just celebrated yesterday the holiday, Juneteenth, right? Ryan taught us about this back in the fall, this moment when the slaves finally heard the reality that they had been freed, in fact, years earlier, but they got the good news that they were free. The Scripture says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, devaluing the lives of people, of any people, based on their race or their education or anything else, devaluing black people in America was an awful example of conforming to the passions of our former ignorance. And the Scripture, the Word of God, calls us to right living, calls us to loving as brothers, later on it will say, the way that we ought to treat one another. 
More particularly in, in this exact context that Peter is writing, he is talking about the Gentile world in and around Rome. And in Rome, Rome was known for the emperor Nero who had just taken power, and, and Nero would throw these massive orgies all over the city, and it looked very much the way that Hollywood looks today. God calls us to holiness. He calls us to not go back to your former ignorance, those things that you went to out of ignorance, those idols, those distractions, those sins, those dark places. Don't let them entangle you again. Don't let them destroy you again, says the Scripture. And this can be anything that you love more than you love God that can entangle and pull us back. See, the Father, First Peter says, has called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light, It calls us obedient children, which literally reads in the Greek, you are a child of obedience. Your identity is of obedience now. See, because in Christ, and in Christ alone, you are no longer a child of wrath. You are no longer a child of sin. You are no longer a child of drunkenness. You are no longer a child of disobedience. You are a child of obedience. You have a new identity brother and sister, sons and daughters, because of the Father. And out of that new identity, we do battle against sin. If you're a child of obedience, you have been given not only salvation through Christ, but you have been given the power of the Holy Spirit that now for the first time you have the ability to say no to those former ignorant sins and to say yes to holiness and obedience and righteousness by His grace, by what Jesus has done in you. Your life, dads, moms, your hope, your obedience begins, first and foremost, number one, your relationship to Jesus Christ. And your call coming out of that from Him begins with your family. Husbands, the number one person in your life is your wife. Amen? That was a weak amen. Amen? Fathers, your children are a close second. What? Take a look at the Scripture. I was hoping for that. Genesis 2.24 says, Husbands, you become one flesh with your wife. New Testament, Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives just as Christ loves the church. What did Christ do for the church? It says, and gave himself up for her. If you want to rightly order your life, your family, Christ first, fathers, husbands, your wife second, your children a very close second B, and then everything else. Everything else after that. You know, I've been thinking this week is very much where I'm at. Over the last three months, our our schedules, our plans, what is normal, and what we've been even intentional about has just been messed up, has been torn apart in so many different ways. And we feel like maybe we're just starting to get back to some sort of new schedule Let me encourage all of us in the room to use this opportunity, brothers and sisters, to make this a time of action, to return to the things that are most 
important. Those things that are priorities, make them a part of your schedule once again. Make them something that happens every single day. If they matter, then return to them. We have had a a season of chaos in one form or another, but it is time to return in whatever way we have stepped back to those things that matter most. And I was, as I was in my CBR this week and considering where are those places that I need to refresh myself and return to and recommit my heart and my life to, um, I thought about where is my time in the Word? Am I getting up every morning and spending time with God and in prayer with Him? And where is my activity with my family? Where is my investing and even discipling my family? And I want to recommit myself to be at war with sin, not only in my own life, but in the world. Number four, be holy, says the Scripture. Be holy as your Father is holy. Look at verses 15 and 16. The Scripture says this, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Peter here is quoting from the Old Testament. He is quoting from the book of Leviticus, chapter 11, 19, and 20, all make this same statement. There are many who love to dump the Old Testament. In particular, we love to dump Leviticus. Do not do that. It is the Word of God. And here, Peter illuminates for us the value of these particular passages here in Leviticus. You know, we hear the word holy, and it can sound stuffy, or it can sound like something that I I could never do that, I could never be that. What exactly do you mean? Do you think you're so much better than someone else? None of that. The Scripture tells us, the word word holy means wholeness with a W, W W-H-O-L-E-N-E-S-S, wholeness, completeness. Holiness is complete and total perfection and goodness, complete love and complete justice. God is holy, capital H, holy. And so when the Scripture says, be holy as I am holy, we should understand, first of all, it is an impossible standard. Have you seen my life, Lord? I am not holy. I am not completely perfect. I am not completely good. I am not filled with love and justice in all times and perfect ways, and yet you are. Do not despair. Romans 3 rubs it in even more. Romans 3 tells us that everyone's heart has been affected, distorted, and broken by sin. Who? Everyone. Everyone, the pattern of evil in this world is not simply society out there or this particular group. It is not an issue of a particular economic group. It is not simply an issue of a particular race. It is not an issue of a particular culture or a particular time. Everyone, says the Scripture, is guilty of sin, and that is the bad news. We aren't holy. We sin a lot, a whole lot. But there's good news. The Scripture says this very command to holiness for God's people tells us something. It tells us that the pattern of sin has been broken for those who are in Christ. You understand what I'm saying? 
The power of sin in our lives has been broken because of Christ. This is one aspect of the good news of the gospel, that in Christ alone, sinners are transformed. In Christ alone, sinners can repent. And in Christ alone, you can, by His grace, by His power, lowercase h, be holy. By His goodness. You are no longer, brothers and sisters, the sum of of your sins. And wouldn't Satan love to tell you that that is the case? Your identity is not your past. Your identity is not your shame. In Christ, all things have been made new. And you are being made new and being actively made holy by the work of the Father in your life. You've been given the power of the Holy Spirit to say yes to godliness, and no to sin. Will we be perfect? No. Not this side of glory. But that takes us to number five. You were bought at a price. This is powerful language. You were bought at a price. Look at verses 17 through 21. If you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing this, that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. The Scripture tells us that the Father is among many powerfully good attributes, that He is an impartial judge. A good Father, earthly speaking, is just and impartial. God is perfect. We can know that God is just in all circumstances because He is impartial in all circumstances. He rewards obedience without showing favoritism, and He crushes sin without showing favoritism. So we can be sure that both in the temporal and the immediate things and in the eternal things that God is just. Our hope is in Him hope is in Him. But notice here, and this should give us fear, says the Scripture, reverent fear that Peter is talking to believers. Peter is talking to saved people in the family of God, and he says that this reality should inspire reverent fear in us. What does that mean? Not fear that we have no hope. Not fear that our salvation hangs in the balance. Not fear that God will somehow become partial or that He will forget about us or come to regret His decision and His love towards us, but rather fear that is reverent, that is humble, that is in awe, remembering that God, who is holy, has called us to be holy and that He very much does bless our obedience When we make mistakes out of love, a good and loving father will discipline his children, and God will do the same, not to destroy us, but to draw us back to himself. The reality of God the Father's judgment 
in all of humanity, eternally speaking, is clear from the Word of God. We understand that those who have been saved, though, in Christ, when we stand before the judgment seat of the throne of God, of Jesus Himself, we know that because of what Jesus has done, our verdict will be not guilty. Not guilty. Because Jesus Himself bore our sin. Jesus Himself bore our guilt on our behalf and exchanged with us His perfect holiness. His perfect life. You know, God's Word, if we look at the big picture from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, God's Word gives us the story of people, gives us the story of humanity, gives us the story of culture and of communities and cities of all people for all time. God's Word gives us the story. And He gives us that story in four words. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And that is where Peter is taking us here. God's Word tells us, first of all, that God created mankind. Adam and Eve were perfect when He created them, and they were without sin. That had been such an awesome time to be alive, to see that they were holy. They were good. And it reminds us that every member of the human race was created by God, in the image of God, in the same fashion that He made Adam and Eve, made beautifully and made perfectly in the image of God. But we messed it up. Do not point your finger at God. Man sinned, humanity sinned. When Adam died spiritually, the Scripture says all humanity died with him. All have sinned, not just a little bit, we've said, but a lot. We have lived by our former ignorances, says Peter. We have lived out the futile ways of our forefathers, says Peter. But redemption, Jesus redeems. It says that He ransomed it literally means that the, the Father paid your debt, bought you back at a price, and the price was His one and only Son, a price that we could never pay ourselves. No earthly thing could satisfy this debt. No silver, no gold, no amount of stuff that we have could purchase it. Only the priceless, precious blood of Jesus paid for us. And not only are we redeemed, but we look forward to someday, someday, restoration. When all of the hurt things become unhurt, when all of the broken things become unbroken once again, sin will be gone, death will be gone, pain and injustice will be gone forever when Jesus Christ returns and brings the restoration of all things. You know, as we think specifically about Father's Day for a moment, we, we know that not every father that should be here is here, whether it's because you lost them or some of us, dad was not a great guy and he has chosen not to be here, present. Whatever the circumstances, the Scripture gives us hope, even as we grieve and deal with the reality of dad is not here. The Scripture gives us the hope to remember 
that even though we have lost an earthly dad, we can never lose a heavenly father. He will not leave. He will not forget you. He will not forsake you. And he loves you. You all right, sweetie? You okay? Number six, love as brothers. I love how this passage ends on this very practical note. Verses 22 through 25. Listen to verse 23 through 25. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. Brotherly love is where Peter takes us in the Scripture as he is speaking both to the people he wrote to 2,000 years ago and to us. I was incredibly encouraged uh, by the racial reconciliation prayer rally that we were a part of um, just this past Monday. It was an awesome moment of the Big C Church. There was probably, I would guess, 20 plus different churches represented there. Maybe 200 or so folks came out, but what was neat is different churches with clearly different stories, different theological backgrounds, people with, I'm confident, different political backgrounds from different cities even within our county, certainly black and white and Hispanic gathered together, but all brothers and sisters in the Lord. We were a family in that moment with people that I saw that I've known for years and people that I saw for the very first time, but in Christ, we were a brotherly and sisterly family. And you know what we did? We took on the most powerful action that we could possibly take. We prayed. We stopped and we prayed. And we prayed together in unity, in gospel unity, and asked for God to move. There was six words that we used that led our prayer time. We prayed for mercy and for justice. We prayed for love. We prayed for humility. We prayed for repentance. We prayed for unity and peace. One of the more interesting things that happened over the course of this hour of prayer is as soon as we finished praying, we discovered that we were under attack. And I don't mean physically. I don't don't really mean people. I mean spiritually. While we were praying as the body of Christ at Front Street Park, six cars were broken into, windows smashed, purses stolen. Satan hates it when we gather together around the gospel with gospel brotherly love. Satan hates it when we gather together in charitable discussion and we listen and we grieve, and we encourage, and we go to the Word together, and we go to prayer together, Satan hates it. At the very end of our time together, this was not a part of the plan. It was a part of God's plan, but not ours. A man got up and said, can I share for a moment? He said, I have a word from the Lord, and he read the Scripture. He read Ephesians chapter 2. This is the first verse that he read to us. This is verse 14. This fellow I had never met before read, for he himself is our peace. He, Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, 
the dividing wall of hostility. He read the scripture and he said, I'm a cop. He's playing clothes, probably in his 50s. He said, I'm a cop. And what I see in this country grieves me. But I want you to know as a police officer that my first and foremost allegiance and commitment is to Christ. He said, I've been a believer for many, many years and I joined the police force 30 years ago because I wanted to find a place where I could tangibly show and live out the love, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he was grieved in that moment. And we gathered around him and we just laid hands on him and and prayed for him. But that is what the Scripture is talking about, that the practical application is brotherly love surrounded by Christ. There is no other foundation that will bring it, only the Word of God says Peter. His letter written 2,000 years ago, but still applying to us the same today. Because remember, Peter, the people that he's writing to, are a diverse people, to say the least. And they are a people who have every reason in the world to hate each other. And yet in Christ, they are coming together as one family. By God's grace, let us do the same. By God's grace, let us be a people of love, of holiness, prepared for action to go into this world to declare the good news of Jesus and to begin with our very own families. Let's pray.